0: Today on the We Invested podcast, we have Michael Fru, the founder of Dev Driven Acquisitions. Michael, how are you doing today?
1: It's a great day. Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, for your listeners, we're actually recording this on a Saturday. So it's kind of nice that there's not a lot of stress in the background and we can just
0: chat. Absolutely. Absolutely. And before we get started, would you mind just letting the people know where they can find you on the Internet, whether it's your website or your social media? Yep.
1: Yeah. I'm easy to find. It's michaelfrew.com. There's not a lot of uh, Frews out there. So yeah, just michaelfrew.com. And from there, you can kind of reach out to anywhere on social media or um, kind of it. all the stuff I've got going on out there. So that's a good place to start.
0: Absolutely. So let's just take it from the top, man, and talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and where you grew up.
1: Yep. Yeah. So I'm uh, probably the technical army brat where my parents were moving quite a bit when I was young. Every two or three years, you end up in a new city, uh, got to make new friends, learn how to kind of survive those that first week in, in a new school. Um, the military doesn't move you at the time that would be convenient for kids. So usually you drop in, let's say on the middle of the week in a November and you got to find a friend that first day. So um, I found that that actually really helped me in the in the future with consulting where you're always kind of dropping into places where nobody knows you and you have to go solve a problem really quickly. So did that as a kid, Um, went to university, actually went to two universities. Uh, I was moving so much as a kid, I couldn't even stay four years in one place Um, and graduated from there and started my engineering career from there.
0: Nice, nice. I mean, you know, you briefly touched on it, like moving around and and interacting with different people at an early age helped you um, and and it benefits you in your business and your company today. But Would you say what would you say are some other impacts or, um, you know, benefits that that came from just moving around as a child?
1: Yeah, the ability to kind of very quickly figure out who you are and how you how you learn who the players are in a group who you need to make friends with, who you need to be more concerned with that might be. Someone that you don't want to be friends with. Um, I always talk a little bit about that first day, you know, and you have to find somebody to to sit with at lunch. And that's incredibly intimidating. In the professional world, we have that same problem. First day on the job, first day a consultant shows up, who are you going to bond with first? And so you start learning how to read people um, and what people are looking for as quickly as you can, as you can, what body language is indicating whether they like you or not. Um, So for me, just learning to adjust to my environment at the time when I'm a kid, didn't appreciate it. But boy, when I got older, I realized how beneficial that was. Um, I always said I felt like a little bit of a chameleon sometimes where you you have to kind of change and blend in with the environment that you're in. Once you understand that environment, you can start letting your true colors out. But at first, you know, you have to kind of read the room, as they say.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, those, those all sound like great qualities and great skills to possess, man, especially, you know, at a young age, um, you know, but let's just fast forward and transition to the company that you've grown and built today. Um, you know, and I want to ask, what is Dev Driven Acquisitions?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I did about 20 years as an engineer, developer and consultant, um, kind of working in multiple companies, doing the same thing, dropping in helping trying to solve problems. And one thing that I think a lot of engineers and your listeners struggle with is um, working in a corporation is beneficial. It's it's a lot of great stuff, but a lot of us have that entrepreneurial drive. A lot of us wanna work for ourselves or maybe even just work in a small team with our friends and partners. So that drive has always been there with me as well. And over time, after that 20 years, I started looking at um, what many engineers try and do, which is trying to start your own business. And there's an incredible amount of information online about how to start your own business. And we also all know that about 99.5% of those fail, and it's probably even higher than that. So after having failed multiple times, uh, what I started to realize was, you know, if you look at the way people build wealth, it comes down to three things, right? It's equity, bonds, it's real estate, and it's owning a business. And the first two, you don't actually create the asset yourself. Most real estate investors are acquiring um, already built single single house, residences or commercial properties, same with equity and debt. And the idea of acquiring businesses isn't something that's really talked about quite as much. And once I found that small niche about 10 years ago and started getting in there, that's where I realized that I can skip all of that, kind of the part that I'm not really good at. I'm not a great entrepreneur. I'm not really good from going from zero to one. I'm a lot better of an operator. So I can take something that's already at one and I can move it up to 10 once I figured that out and I started looking at acquiring companies, that's where my career as an individual and as, a, as my own boss really took off. And that's what Dev-Driven Acquisitions is about, is trying to bring awareness to other engineers, developers, and people in the IT industry that there's a lot of IT businesses that are for sale, and it's a stepping stone out of the corporate world if you're just aware that it exists and kind of walk through how you do those acquisitions and how you would set up that business for yourself.
0: No, that's awesome, man. And, you know, I feel like you mentioned a, you had a lot of great like talking points, um, but I feel like one of the most important ones was you being able to find your strength and you like understood that your strength was being an operator. And so once you're able to find what you're good at or what your strengths are, now you can um I guess, execute or live in that area where you can then be able to create that successful business and that successful company and help others?
1: Absolutely. I think there's there's so much focus on entrepreneurship. Um, and so everyone feels that they have to start something from scratch. And there are a lot of people like me, and I think it comes a lot from consulting. You know, We're operators. We make things work. We may not come up with the greatest ideas, but we can execute. If you're someone that can execute, this is the perfect industry to be in because someone has already gotten you a business. It has real customers. It has product market fit. It has a marketing plan. It's got infrastructure already put together. Now they just need somebody to operate that. The entrepreneurs that put that together, they're usually already looking at the next shiny thing. I noticed in the market as soon as ChatGPT came out, every single blockchain business that every entrepreneur had started went up for sale because they wanted to move to the next thing. So they're looking to sell to people like me and other operators because we can take that business, we can scale it, we can professionalize it, and then we look to the group that's above us that would buy it at a higher price. So it's just part of that business cycle where the operators can help mature a business and sell it to PE firms and maybe other investors like myself who are looking at bigger businesses.
0: Oh man, absolutely. That that's incredible. I mean, this is such a cool topic and like, you know, this is interesting to me personally. But before we take a deeper dive into the company and like and into the business itself, how did you get started in this industry? Like, what was that initial spark for you that made you want to um, you know, build businesses or or locate businesses to find and to like how did you get involved?
1: Yeah, the spark happened a few times during my career. I had what I call a bunch of quarter life crises. So I had one around late twenties. I had one mid thirties where I just knew what I was doing in the corporate world was not sustainable mentally and emotionally and physically. And I would just quit my job. And I know a lot of your listeners have probably had these moments where either they feel like doing it, you know, just leaving or actually executing on it and quitting. And both of those times I took months off trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And it always pushed back to like, well, you need to start your own business. Finally, after the third time I did it and, um, started looking around, you know, again, continually looking for what can I do that maybe isn't starting your own business somewhere in there. I stumbled on way back then. Empire flippers had started being a broker for small businesses. That's where I acquired my first company and it was small five figure business, but that's where I realized, Oh, this is exactly what I should be doing. Um, And that's something I would encourage your listeners. If you're not hundred percent sure that this is the direction you want to go, try something small. Um, You know, you can, you can acquire kind of a side project. You can acquire something that you can take half of your time and see if this is a lifestyle that you enjoy. See if you want to be running the business. Cause there is a lot of, you know, we all know every investment um, there's the cool stuff you can post on Twitter. And then there's like the real work that you have to do that nobody likes to talk about. You may find that it is better in the corporate world because the company can't uh, takes care of all that for you. But if you're on your own and you say, Hey, you know, this five figure acquisition worked out really well, I might like to move up bigger. And that's kind of what I did. I did the five figure first and I moved to six and just off to the races after that. So that's a good way to test out and see if it's a career path that somebody else might like.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and so just in your, I guess, in your personal experience um, with acquiring different companies and different businesses, you, um, is there a specific niche or target or is there a specific focus that you have when you're looking to acquire a business?
1: Yes, this is it's a great question, um, because what you can kind of do is go out and look at things that you enjoy doing. So I know I had projects in the corporate world where I did not enjoy them and ones that I did. So if you look at yourself and kind of find what your specialty is, whether you really enjoy doing data-driven analysis, or if you really like marketing, if you really like advertising. Um, Me again, I like cloud infrastructure. I really like that kind of operations. There are niches for that that are for sale in the online business world. There's a lot of content sites. There's a lot of Amazon FBA, e-commerce stores that you can acquire. There's what I like to professionalize in, which is kind of the software SaaS area. Um, so you find kind of that niche that you would like to be in, or you can look at all of them because they're all kind of interesting. And so for me, I specialize a little bit. I know a lot of my colleagues will maybe specialize in two or three because there's plenty of overlap. Every business needs to have an expert in content and advertising. So you can be kind of the expert in one business, or you can say, listen, I'm going to buy a bunch of WordPress themes and I'm going to build my own WordPress theme company. Um, I've seen people do that same with Shopify apps. So yeah, you can drill down into a niche if you like, and specialize in something, or kind of dabble in a in a bunch of them.
0: Absolutely, man. And look, I feel like you've given a lot of great advice, a lot of valuable information throughout this episode already. But something I think is you know very cool that you mentioned was that, um, you found what you enjoyed doing, like maybe through your corporate life or during your. Um, time spent in the corporate world which i think is important and it shows like there there is a benefit of working in corporate for a while to figure out like the different aspects of a business and what it takes to run a business and run a company and then you just decide what you want to do and you give it a try like you don't have to jump immediately into like six figure or seven figure companies you mentioned you got started with a five figure company just to 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 try it out and test it out and i think that's like great advice
1: I couldn't agree more. I think I think the corporate world gets a lot of hate that, you know, oh, if you're working in corporate, that's bad. And like you you're doing something wrong. And I I disagree with that because I would not be where I am if I had not done those 20 years in there, I've seen so many different companies, learned marketing, accounting, you know, all the maybe some of the, <laughs> the less sexy things. So what I like to kind of say and and try and pass back to what I would say is like Michael Fru when he was younger is to be aware of this as a career path and then position yourself in different spots in a corporation to learn more about things that you, know, you could use when you go out on your own. So as an engineer and a developer, a lot of us, we stay very narrow in our lane. We wanna keep working on the technology and I get that. But if you get an opportunity to work marketing for a year, that can be a huge help. If you can get an opportunity to see the finance department a little bit, an absolute huge help. So leverage the corporate experience learn what you can so when you go out into doing what you know kind of you and I do where we're doing this on our own you have a lot of that background. So yeah, I'm not anti corporate career at all. I think it's really nice to think of this as here's my next corporate step if I don't want to stay into that um, career path.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned when you're um, you know, acquiring a business or acquiring a company you want to have certain subject matter experts around you so the people that are that are um experts in marketing or experts in maybe that finance piece like like um can you talk just more, a little bit more about that and how you went about finding those subject matter experts for your own companies
1: yes so it sounds like we're talking about building your team right and so you're kind of building your acquisition team, whether it's on the front end when you're looking at the acquisition. So maybe you need some legal help. Um, You might need some help with due diligence. And then once you've acquired the business, you're probably not going to want to run the bookkeeping yourself. You're not going to be an expert at doing the advertising. Really, you want to just be the expert at the organization and the operations of the business. And everybody tackles this in a different way. My personal example, just to help out for anybody else that's thinking of it this way, I really enjoy, I acquire a, like a six to seven figure business, probably once every two years. And then I really love working on that business for two years. So I work in the business, contrary to what a lot of people tell you, you know, work on on the business and get yourself out of there. I actually really like working in the business to learn how it works. And I assemble a team around me, even if it's part-time, I can have part-time customer service help, part-time bookkeeping help, and then full-time I'm kind of operating it uh, on my own. So for me, that has worked really well. As I've acquired more companies, I obviously need more help. So I've brought people in more full-time. I still like to operate inside of each one, but yes, you're correct. You do need to assemble a team of your experts. Hopefully all of them are more intelligent and experienced than you and they pull you up um, and you just get to, as long as you can, you know, handle everybody and keep everybody happy. um, It works out really well for everyone because everyone's working on something they enjoy doing.
0: Absolutely. I mean, and this is like a common theme that I hear throughout these interviews. um, And you just said it is like being able to remain curious. So like you mentioned, you'll, you'll purchase a company and you're inter- you're still interested in learning. So you're hands on with it for possibly like two years and, and just like learning the ins and outs of that company. I mean, so can you speak, can you speak a little bit more um, about the importance of staying curious and really yeah. enjoying what you do?
1: Absolutely. Um, and that really makes, I like the way you led into that because there's a lot of people who are looking to sell their entrepreneurial venture, you know, they want someone that actually enjoys the business like they did, right? Because this is kind of a baby for them that they want to have and make sure that their customers are taken care of and that you know somebody isn't just buying it to shut it down. So when you look at like a PE firm, they're going to put your business into a spreadsheet. There's no passion there. Nobody actually cares about running it. And the people you talk to when you're about to sell it to them, they're not going to be the same people that are running it after the transaction occurs. Whereas in a case like myself, the first thing i look at is hey is this kind of an interesting business would this be cool to run it's a long time before i'm actually looking at the spreadsheet and worrying about the numbers um, so i'm looking for projects that i would just really enjoy running joy being a part of and if it's something that can give back to society or help your community or you're helping your customers or it allows you to employ more people you know that's just a benefit added on to um, the entire process where not only am i having fun but i'm helping out other people and so yeah, for me that that kind of is a win win on both sides,
0: absolutely. I mean, and you know there' are so many um it seems like purchasing a business is a very like nuanced process with like many steps and and many different moving p- pieces that you have to understand and I think you know some of the some of the main pieces include like being able to source. Um, or or find or locate this company that you want to purchase, and then I think the next biggest piece would be financing um, the acquisition of this company. So can you can you talk a little bit more about those two pieces to the yes, process?
1: Absolutely, and I've got kind of a two part answer for that. Um, so there is kind of a framework that I have gone through, and I think everybody else goes through about acquiring a business. So one thing I can tell your listeners, especially if they're in real estate, it is very very similar. So I put that framework on my website and it's just, um, it's eight steps and it's the same thing, of you know, awareness. Then you said like deal flow, then we work on financing, then we look on sourcing. And, and so you walk right through there. So hopefully that's helpful for your listeners just to see what that path is going to be. Um, and then the second thing is you asked two of the four questions that I answered in a, I've got a video series. It's all free. I mean, there's nothing I'm not selling anything and it's the four questions I get asked every time. Um, by anybody that finds out what I'm doing. And that's one of them, you know, how do I finance this? Why do people sell good businesses? I don't believe it could be true. What's the niche I should get into, which kind of goes in back to your earlier question. And how do I get this deal flow? What's suitable? And so I try and answer those four questions in that video series as well. So if anybody's interested in that, um, and again, it's just, how do you answer those first questions so that you know you can kind of take that first step and have a little bit of confidence? Cause this is scary, right? it's a, if you're looking to do this as a career change, like I did, it can be tough. And one of the reasons I focus on developers and engineers is one, I think that they are uniquely positioned to do well in this because they know the hard part. But the second thing is we are paid very well. And so we get golden handcuffs very early and very young, and it can be very hard to change, especially as you start getting a house and family. And so we want kind of as much preparation and as much confidence before we take that step.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, another cool thing you mentioned, which uh, a lot of people, um, a lot of entrepreneurs that I had the pleasure to interview, we focus, like, the focus is more so on, like, the creation or building or the acquiring piece. But then you mentioned, like, the selling part, which I think that's important, too, is, like, being able to plan a good exit um, but you mentioned like selling to, to private equity firms, which I'm like, oh, that's fire. That's something I hadn't really like yeah. thought about or talked about much. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that and how you like learned that that was a possibility? And like, um, you know, did you have to create certain network? Uh, did you have to create certain relationships to, to get involved in it? Like how did how is that process?
1: Yeah, good. Really good question, um, because I think people do only focus on one side. When you look at real estate investing you're you're acquiring real estate with thought of selling it at some point especially if you're doing flips so you know that the money sometimes is made on the buy when people are buying or even running businesses a lot of times they really don't think about the exit but we have to we kind of have to agree that two things happen to businesses they are either they either go bankrupt or they're acquired there is no third option so you always want to be working towards the fact that it's going to be acquired And you are correct, so there's a network as this um, kind of online business acquisition world matures, it was Wild West when I started 10 years ago, but as this is maturing, there is a network of buyers out there. There's a tremendous amount of dry capital that's looking to acquire. Um, So it makes it hard for me as a buyer, but it's great for me as a seller. So that ecosystem is out there. I can help you tap into that, but you can also do it as well. Um, People are pretty easy to find. You can sell almost the same way that you acquire, whether you want to do it through a broker, whether you want to do it through a marketplace, or even just announcing on Twitter. Um, you know, I have my own personal preferences because I want as much exposure for a business that I'm selling, but there's definitely a good mature market around selling the business. It's just really important to think about running your business with the idea you're going to sell because it's very hard for buyers like me to take a business serious when you look at the books and they're a mess and you can tell that, you know, the the infrastructure hasn't been kept up. Um, The, you know, the the business is a bit of a zoo that's very hard to sell because we're expecting something that should be running like a business.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you kind of just mentioned this, but you know, I want to ask what are some like red flags to you when you're doing your due diligence on a business that you're, um, you know, potentially thinking about acquiring?
1: Yes. Um, And hopefully these are red flags that uh, people have heard about a lot, just running the business in the first place. Mixing personal and business expenses together, especially at the size that I'm looking at, um, that shouldn't be happening. If you're a smaller business and you're just getting off the ground, we know you have to use personal credit cards and all of that. But if you're up to kind of, you know, if I'm looking to acquire, let's say half a million to two or $3 million business, I should have pretty clean They don't have to be super clean books but they should be organized it shouldn't be a box of receipts Um, and so if you sell through a broker they're going to solve that problem for you before you even come to a market if you sell through a marketplace and that's how you present yourself to a buyer it's going to be a bit of a it's going to make your life really tough if you're serious about selling Um, the next thing that i look at is there's a lot of businesses that come up and you look at their finances and it is perfect they don't have a single extraneous expense Every marketing dollar has worked out to turn into $2. And you know, that's not true. Business isn't that clean. Everybody tries experiments. So when you see a balance sheet and a profit and loss statement that's a, that is that clean, you know, they've removed things. So there's already a lack of trust. So if you have experiments that you try and it just doesn't work out, leave it in there because we'll still take it out as an ad back, but it also creates that confidence between the buyer and the seller that you're going to hide too much from me. Um, those are two that jumped out to me really quickly. And um, I guess the question I always ask when, so someone always has a reason why they're selling and they'll always say, you know, if this business just had $5 extra of TLC, you know, it could be a billion dollar business. And so the question is always, though, well, why aren't you doing it? Why are you the person that started it? You got all the investment funding, you know everything about the business and you're trying to sell it to someone who doesn't know those answers. Why would I be better at doing that than you? So that's always a good question. And it's interesting to see kind of what are the reasons that people sell the business. It does have a difference in how buyers are going to approach um, an acquisition.
0: How long is that process of like buying and selling a business?
1: Yep. Um, The deal flow part where you're trying to find the right one, you know, like I said, takes me a couple of years sometimes. Once you're engaged, let's say you find you have a really good match, Um, the seller thinks the buyer is going to be a really good match. It can go quite fast because online business has most likely very few physical assets that you need to run due diligence with. If you're acquiring an Amazon site, there's going to be some inventory, but that's usually handled pretty quickly. You can close on a business fairly quickly. Um, And by that, I mean maybe 30 days, maybe 45, depending on how long the due diligence is going to be. But if you've got a business that's pretty clean, it's got you know a couple of mine that I run have honestly, they have like five expenses and they're very easy to backdate and you just check and say like, all right, this, this works. you know I can see this for the last five years. That due diligence is done. Um, there's a lot of tools to do the online due diligence for um, how website ranks and everything like that. And so those can go fairly quickly. Um, as the acquisition price goes up, you can probably expect it to go a little longer but it's not the same as when you hear about brick and mortar companies taking six to 12 months to close Um, online businesses. They're more efficient for almost everything to include the sales process.
0: Awesome. So when you're, I guess, uh, doing your due diligence on the company and, and you do decide to make that purchase, and I guess it's different for every business, every acquisition, but it's one of the first things that you're, looking at and thinking about doing is like how to cut expenses? Like, What's your first thought when you first enter into that company?
1: Right. I'm kind of going back to that prior question where I assume that some expenses have already been cut that really should be in the business. So the example I always use is it's rare to come across a business where it has a fully fledged CRM and everything because people will cut that out because they know that acquirers are looking really at that last 12 months. So they cut out everything that doesn't really need to, that that the business should have, but isn't really necessary to survive for 12 months. So in a way, I kind of look at it and say, well, what expenses am I going to have to add?
0: Mm. In many
1: cases, um, in the acquisition size that I'm looking for, I'm acquiring from an entrepreneur who's usually an engineer, and that person needs to be replaced. So even if the company is making, let's say, half a million dollars a year, I know I might have fifty dollars to $100,000 of new person expense that has to go in there and replace that person. So I know that expense will go up. But typically, I'm not looking to cut expenses. I'm trying to figure out what happens when it transitions to me. How do I make this a more mature business? How do I get new engineers or a new team in here? What's that going to cost me? And then what does that multiple look like? if the multiple was maybe 4X to start with, but I, I add those expenses in there and now I'm looking at a 6X business, is it still good to me? Can I still grow it? Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking for. It's not so much to cut expenses. It's just what am I going to have to add to get it to operate the way that I like it to run?
0: Absolutely. does the future of dev-driven acquisitions look like to you?
1: Yeah, um, my goal here is just to talk to myself 10 years ago give myself the advice that I wish I had heard back then. I didn't have a mentor that kind of pulled me along in this path. So I think like I opened a little bit, I'm trying to build more awareness and help guide other engineers, IT professionals in this space so that they opt to do that, um, that they have someone they can talk to. Um, Yeah, so for me, it's it's a little bit of a give back. Um, It's an opportunity for me to learn and still keep in touch with engineers that are looking to leave the corporate arena um, yeah, there's no big, um, long-term, you know, um, big plan to turn this into a huge company. If I can just help a couple people a month, uh, that really makes me feel good that I can do that and give back like that. Um, and that's about what it's been. Um, I've had people very much like myself reach out and say, Hey, I'm, I'm in the same spot you were 10 years ago. What is the first couple steps that I should take? And, you know, and we kind of talk it out and, and chat each, each month and then, um, they'll acquire something and it's, it's just really cool to see. So for me, it's incredibly rewarding just to help a few people make that transition from corporate to running their own online company there.
0: Absolutely. Michael, thank you so much for your time today, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. And like I said, throughout the entire episode, man, you just provided so much value. So I appreciate that.
1: Awesome. Thank you. It was really awesome to be here. Thanks again. Absolutely.